Please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 7 and chapter 8. Genesis 7 and 8. This is God's Word. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights." And I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down, and on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. 
The waters continued to recede until the tenth month, and on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After forty days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth, so it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and, and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundredth and first year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the twenty-seventh day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. How'd you like to be in the ark? What would it be like in the ark? Um, I know that Quite a few of you enjoy working at the barn. But if you had to live in the barn, not just with horses. Horses may be appealing. They've got cats down there too. And there are a couple of dogs. But what if there were all kinds of other animals, including nocturnal animals? Ones that make noise all night long. Well, you know, I mean, wouldn't be my choice to live in the barn, but what if you had to live in the barn and you couldn't go outside the barn? Oh. Well, when it's time to do chores like cleaning out stalls and things like that, what do you do? Well, recycle. Uh, I mean, try and throw it out an 18-inch hole on the third floor? Uh, hmm. Let me just tell you 
inside the ark, it was undoubtedly dark and smelly, and you couldn't go outside. But it beat being outside. Understand? Even though there were some features of the ark and life in the ark that could be unpleasant, it was a whole lot better than being outside the ark. Outside the ark was only death. Esther, would you really believe this stuff? Absolutely I do. I not only believe that it's true, I know that it is instructive for us because chapter 7 begins by saying, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark. And they did what he said. The previous chapter ends by saying, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That's what it is to walk with God. That's what it is to live a righteous life in your generation. You're not doing what everybody else is doing. You're not trying to fit in with the crowd that is on the broad way headed for destruction. You are seeking to be obedient to God. Did Noah live sinlessly? We asked that last time. Answer is no. Did he live blamelessly? Answer is yes. What is the difference? God does forgive sin. And you can be blameless having been forgiven. But you will not be blameless if instead of seeking to please the Lord and confess your sins and ask his forgiveness, you basically seek to justify yourself because you think that whatever you want to do is what counts. Your goal is not to honor him and do what he says. Your goal is simply to please yourself and maybe to please other people. Noah obeyed the Lord by faith. He obeyed the Lord by faith or there wouldn't have been an ark. Now, how long did he have to stay in the ark? It was over a year. Over a year? That's a long time. Well, it is when you're your age. And if I was inside the ark, it would be at my age. You understand? But Noah did what God said. Why did he have to have more of the clean animals than the unclean animals? Because all the unclean animals would have to do when they got off the boat is just reproduce. But the clean animals, which God had identified to Noah, were ones that would be allowed for food after the flood, not before the flood, but after the flood, God's going to say, okay, now you can eat meat as well. But God also is having 
only certain animals as acceptable for sacrifice. And so, Noah had been told, you're to take seven pairs of the clean animals. Because they not only will have to reproduce, some of them are going to have to die for food and for sacrifice. Where did the sacrifice of animals come in? All the way back at the garden because man sinned. And so God made a covering for Adam and Eve out of animal skins. Okay, yeah, that's right. And, and, and then, but after that, why did there need to be more? Because that was a part of worship. Why would that be part of worship? I just don't get that. It seems like animals having to suffer. I mean, they, it's not like they did something wrong. They were a substitute demonstrating man's awareness of the death sentence we deserve for our sin. And so Abel's sacrifice, which involved the death of animals from his flock, God looked on with favor because that was offered in faith. Cain's sacrifice, which was just some of the produce that he had grown, was not received with favor, and it was not offered in faith. So God demands blood sacrifice? Yes. Because it's pointing to the great sacrifice which he would provide there on Mount Moriah when Jesus, his beloved son, took the punishment that we deserve. Not just physical death, but the wrath of God poured out on him so that you and I could be completely forgiven and declared righteous in his sight. I want you to see that when they went into the boat, they were there for a week before the flood began. And I want you to see that God, the Lord, shut him in. Noah wasn't having to say, well, we're not going to let anybody else in here. The Lord is the one who closed the door and said, that's it. That's it. What about the people outside? The people outside had mocked Noah. They had refused to believe and they'd refused to repent. And as we said before, it is very possible that one of those who mocked and refused to repent was Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, the man with the longest lifespan, the oldest guy at the age of his death in human history. We don't know that he died in the flood, we just know he died the year of the flood. But it does seem interesting that neither Noah's father nor Noah's grandfather were among the passengers on the ark. Well, who decides who gets to ride on the ark? God. 
God made up the passenger list, and he didn't sell tickets. God said, these animals are coming, and God brought the animals. God brought them. You know who's in charge of salvation? God. You may not like that. That may seem un-American to you. But guess what? God is the one who saves. God is the only one who saves. Well, how can I be sure that I'm saved? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What if I'm not one of the elect? Then you're not going to call on the name of the Lord. You're not going to be begging God to save you if you are not one of the elect. Well, that's just that whole notion of election really galls me. Well, if God ever puts it up for a vote, you can let him know that. But the whole point of election is because when we make the choice, when we are the ones who decide in our flesh how we're going to respond to God, the universal response of unregenerate man is the same. No. 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 I want to be my own boss. I want to do my own thing. Maybe, maybe someday later, if I need you, right now, I want to be in charge. That's the human heart. That's our problem. That's why we deserve hell. God says you can eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden except this one. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. We're like, ah, well, looks good. I bet it would make me wise. I don't really believe you're telling the truth when you say that if I eat of it, I'll die. That's the attitude of the human heart going all the way back to the beginning because our first parents listened to the father of lies. God's word is truth. And God says, come. And man says, no. God says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And we say, no. Well, but some people haven't heard. Yeah, the problem is, you're right, some people have not heard. But the universal response of people everywhere to the truth they have, apart from God's regenerating work, is the same. No, no. Well, not everybody knows the law of God. Everybody knows some of the law of God. And we all disobey what we know. We might say, well, I'm, you know, I know I shouldn't do that, and I'm not going to do that, and I also know I shouldn't do this. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just have to. No, we don't. Once we're saved. But before God saves us, we actually do. 
We're born in sin. We are slaves when we're unregenerate. We are slaves to that sinful nature. And so we find ourselves again and again saying, okay, I, I, I'm not going to do that again. And we do it again. Okay, Pastor Wood, you're making me a little nervous now because that also describes sometimes uh, the way that Christians behave. Yeah, it does. The difference is it's not because we have to. It's not because we have no choice. We receive the capacity to do the right thing when God gives us his spirit living within us. But we still have the capacity to choose wrongly. God gives us the capacity to do right now. But sometimes we still listen to the tempter. Sometimes instead of putting to death the old nature, we feed the old nature. We haven't had a bear coming on the front porch now in a couple of months. But one reason is because we're diligent about bringing the cat food in at night. And if we see bears around, we bring it in during the day. The reason is because if you leave the food out there, those bears that are trying to get ready for cold weather are really hungry. And they can smell cat food, dog food, garbage, all kinds of things a long way off. They come running. They come running. But if they are met with no food when they get there, I don't know, they may tear the top off your hot tub or something like that. I'll show him, take the cat food inside. But the bottom line is, if you don't want bears on the front porch, don't feed them. If you don't want them getting into your stuff, don't leave it where they can get at it. And if you don't want sin to become habitual in your life, Christian, stop feeding the sinful nature. Stop encouraging the enemy. Saying, yeah, you're welcome here. I know you're hungry, big guy. Come on. He wants to devour you. Okay, so you got the animals on the ark. You got the seven, of the, seven pairs of the clean animals, one pair of the unclean animals. And uh, what's this thing about the, the waters of the, from under the earth coming? Well, apparently, if you read it, God not only sent rain on the earth, to flood the earth, but God caused an eruption of waters from under the ground. What? There was some sort of cataclysmic event 
that not only caused rain to come from above for 40 days and 40 nights, but also caused an eruption of water from under the ground. Huh. That's bizarre. Is there water under the ground? Yeah. I mean, like, like here? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Have you ever heard of a well? It's where we get our water. Because you see, if you drill down, it turns out there's water underneath there. Have you ever been about, oh, I don't know, an hour or so from here to the Lost Sea? Or maybe if you want something on a smaller scale, Tuckalichi Caverns, which is very close by. There's water under the earth. There's water in the earth. There's water over the earth. At the start of Genesis, God talks about the earth being covered with water. And then God separated the water from the land. But there was water not only next to the land mass, there was water under the land mass. And there is water over the land mass. There's a lot of water because God made creation that way. Here, God used that water to wipe the earth clean. Water's good at that. I had a shower this morning. I hope many of you did as well. But God didn't just send some rain on the earth. He caused it to rain and rain and rain and rain and rain and rain for 40 days and 40 nights. The consequence was even the tops of the mountains were covered. And they were covered to a sufficient depth that the ark could float along and not run aground. But then, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. So the flood came to an end, and a new start began. But once the rain stopped, it wasn't like, okay, good times are back. It took a while to recover. And it's a beautiful image of God having Noah send out the birds. And how the dove comes back the second time with an olive leaf. That story has led to what is a universal symbol of the dove with the olive branch in its beak that is spoken of around the world as a symbol of peace. All of us go back to this story, whether you believe it or not. My wife, as you know, is very interested in genealogy. I think it's delightful that she's found all kinds of fascinating stories 
about not only my ancestors, but some of yours. What does she know about me? Those of you who have asked her to please trace it. She's found some interesting things. We just had guests from New Jersey that we hadn't seen in 40 years, dear friends. And he was saying how he really doesn't know anything about his family. His father died in a car accident when he was just nine years old. He had two younger brothers. And none of his father's relatives had anything to do with his family. And he knows what his last name is and what his father's name is and what his father's birthday was, but that's about it. Well, that was before he told my wife that. Now there's all kinds of information. But as I've told you before, you and I are all related. Lewis Henry Gates has a program in which he, on PBS, where he, he goes back and he traces people's ancestry and shares with these various celebrities kind of the fascinating stories of their, their roots. Finding Your Roots, I think, is the name of the podcast. And one of the things that's very interesting, Lewis Henry Gates is a man who identifies as African-American or a black man, and a lot of his celebrity guests are black. And when they do the ancestry, what they find is that in their families, as in his, it's not just black people. It's black and white people. One of the guys was saying, you know, I'm hoping to find some Native American ancestry. And they did the research and came back and said, nope. <laughs> I thought that would really be neat if I was part Indian. Nope. You and I don't get to choose who our ancestors are. But all of us, whether we like it or not, are family. There is one race, the human race. And we need to treat other people as family, not treat people as other. Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives were the only people who survived the flood. And that means all of us are kin. Look at the person next to you. That's your cousin. You say, no, it's not. That's my brother. Okay. That's my sister. Well, that's fine. Some of us are more closely related than others, but all of us. All of us are kin, and we need to love one another. We need to treat each other like family, and not just people here at the ranch, people. Okay, Pastor Rudd, I don't know how to tell you this, but you know, in my family, there are some real nut jobs. Oh, it's not just your family that has that problem, okay? As a matter of fact, there are probably some relatives who think we're the nut job. Don't worry about it. Just be loving and kind. 
You can be nice to people that are crazy. You don't have to be really tight with everybody. We have relatives that we haven't seen for a while. But we pray for them. We still care about them. And you and I need to love because God has loved us. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you get a realignment of your relatives. I have much more in common with my brothers and sisters in other countries around the world than I do with many people who are biologically related to me pretty closely in this country. Before chapel began this morning, I was reading prayer requests and other kinds of requests from folks in Georgia and India and all around the world. You and I, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, are born again, adopted into God's family. He is our father. Jesus is our elder brother. And we are on our way to the Father's house where we will spend forever with him. But between now and then, just as in these ancient times, God is saying, come. And yet the only ones who will come are those whom God draws. And therefore, those of us who are saved need to know it is all to his praise, his honor, his glory. It is not because we're better or smarter than somebody else. We need to thank God for his mercy toward us. And if you ever get tired of being in the ark, realize there is coming a day when God will say, okay, we're starting over. That day's coming, and it's going to be glorious. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you so much for providing for us eternal life in him. Help us to believe your promises and to walk in your ways. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.